Well, good morning and welcome on this beautiful Wisconsin. Oh, wait a minute, we're not in Wisconsin anymore. This is Tennessee, but uh, we're glad that uh, we can start getting a little sampling of the changing of the seasons. And we are excited to be able to worship together with you this morning. And we welcome you. I'm Pastor Adam Love, Senior Pastor here at Grace. And as always, it's a joy to be able to worship together with you that are regular attenders. But I know that we have some guests and friends, and I even have some family here with me this morning. It's good to have each of you present and uh, looking forward to celebrating the morning here today. As we get into things, there's a few uh, uh, options there for you in the bulletin as far as ways to get involved and where to uh, find yourself getting active over the next few uh, weeks and even today uh, there are some different classes different places to get plugged in and uh, so I hope that uh, you'll avail yourself of that you say okay I know that some new electives have started some classes uh, in the four-year we always have a layout of where those are at we try to even have a diagram of the building and so what room and vicinity that is located and uh, so if you are getting plugged in and if you're new we uh, do have options for you as far as discipleship hour which is the next hour here this morning. So we welcome you. Hope that uh, you'll take a moment, look at the bulletin, make sure that you're aware of what's going on and uh, get it very comfortable with some of the options that are coming up here over the next few weeks. A couple things to remind you of are our special giving projects as we uh, consider those that are going through some situations of life. We have the Fidelions, the McDowells. Uh, continue to pray for both of those as families and the different needs that they share and have. And uh, there are some ongoing expenses and challenges there. So be in prayer for them. But also if you're able to financially support, give a little extra towards them, I know that uh, that will definitely go to encourage and to help them. As well as we have uh, two other projects that are involving regions of our country, or excuse me, of our world, and uh, one of those is Ukraine. Uh, we have consistently, as monies have come in, when they get to a certain level, we send that off to different ones who are actively helping in that part of the world, and especially missionaries that we support, and we have several that are in that region, and that uh, we are able to help through them, and so that is a way to continue to give. And then Dominican Republic. We've had a long-term, a long-standing relationship with several missionaries, different works there in the Dominican, and uh, even our Spanish pastor is from there, and uh, so this is a way for us to help Ian, and not Ian, but uh, one of the other hurricanes that came through really did some great damage there, and uh, there are some lingering effects, and especially a lot of the families there, and so uh, this is a way that we felt like we want to establish in front of us a way to deal with some of the immediate but then there are some longer-term and uh, projects that uh, we'd like to be involved with in helping the different ministries and different ones there. So uh, just keep that in front of you. If you are able to give above and beyond what you normally give to what we do here on a regular basis, uh, these are some projects that you can get connected with and to be a help to these different ones, individuals as well as regions. So appreciate your attention to that. Uh, there are some things happening that uh, we need to make sure that you're aware of. Today is really the last day uh, to bring here any of the Operation Christmas Child uh, shoe boxes that uh, you have filled. Uh, you could possibly drop it off by tomorrow uh, at the latest at the church office. But uh, really after that, uh, you're gonna need to take that to a designated drop site. Uh, we will be taking what we received today and all the ones that we've collected and we'll be taking those in probably tomorrow or Tuesday morning. So uh, make sure that you coordinate with the office if you have one and you are not able to bring it here today, uh, but uh, there are several locations around Chattanooga where you can take those to, and there may be one near you, so you can check with that online. I uh, want to mention as well, there's a couple things there for the ladies, and uh, one is a ladies' retreat in January, and then a mission trip to the DR uh, in April, and uh, so take note of those different things that are in there. Uh, the food drive uh, is November the 20th deadline, uh, so several things that uh, uh, you're able to get involved with and participate in, and I hope that uh, you continue to do so. We've had uh, several goods come in, and uh, we have several families that we want to serve and minister to, as well as ministries in our area and so hopefully uh, you'll take an opportunity to uh, avail yourself of that if you say I'm just not able to get out and get something or bring it here uh, designated funds we will make sure then that we pick those up and uh, we're, we're looking specifically at ways to uh, help 
and uh, to encourage and to minister to people. So I uh, appreciate your investment, your time in those things, and I uh, hope that uh, you'll take part if you're able to do so. You'll notice in the insert of your bulletin, there is a holiday schedule there. Uh, we are officially in November, and uh, so there is a lot of things happening around Thanksgiving, around the, the December schedule of Christmas. Uh, there are some different events that will be happening, and uh, so that gives you a little bit of a snapshot of some strategic dates when offices will be closed and when church services are maybe adjusted for different things. And so make sure that you're aware of that and uh, make sure that uh, you adjust your calendars accordingly. Well, we've got several that we're praying for, and uh, as we kind of think about uh, ones that are here, and uh, we've got several that have been away and, and are here today and uh, continuing to pray for their health and their recovery, uh, but uh, there are a few that we continue to pray for, and one is Beth Bennett, and uh, it's good to see Fred here this morning, but to continue to pray for her and her uh, continued uh, improvement, and uh, grateful that she is improving. Uh, then also uh, Judy Summers, and uh, continue to pray for her recovery. Uh, one other prayer request is Ashley Gilmore, and uh, she actually had to be taken to the hospital this morning. And uh, so just continue to pray about that with her pregnancy. It's a very high-risk pregnancy, and uh, she's continued to experience some symptoms that they felt was important for her to get back into the hospital and just have it checked and make sure. So uh, she's been on a pretty stringent bed rest routine. And uh, so just pray for the Gilmores as a whole. And it's good to see her parents here, the lackeys, and, and uh, just continue to pray the Lord will give her strength through this pregnancy. Pray for the little one that uh, is continuing to develop and grow, and, uh, but at the same time, it has created some opportunities for us to pray and to encourage and to come alongside them. So remember the Gilmores through this. And in line of that, uh, we have someone else going to be in his science school class this morning, and uh, so teens, you still will meet, and uh, we'll plan on that here today. There are several that are sick. Um, we've had a, a rash of flu and the stomach bug and all that kind of stuff and apparently uh, Jensi and I think Liam have gotten it and uh, that's our Spanish pastor and hit one of hit their children and uh, so pray for them and then also Jen Grieve and uh, so the poor Grieves I think they have about covered everybody now that uh, uh, in their entire family uh, but uh, just pray for them and, and there's several others I know that are battling so just be mindful of those around you that normally are sitting there near you uh, and uh, you may be grateful they're not sitting next to you today. All right. Uh, but at the same time, just remember in prayer for them, pray for our health as uh, we go through the days ahead and the change of seasons and everything about that. Well, there's a verse that we've been looking at and is really something that I feel is important for us to do every time we come together in this setting. And that is to remind ourselves of the importance, the integrity, the really the placement of God's word in what we do here. We hold to it. We believe in it. And we uh, are really a, a ministry that we hold dear to what God's word teaches us and how it leads us. And so we really try to start with that as a way for us to prepare our minds and our hearts to get engaged with worship as uh, we get ready to do that in our song service and then our preaching ministry and then enjoying the outflow of that into our fellowship time as well as an opportunity to share Christ. And so thinking about that as a church, I hope that we have come prepared in our hearts ready to let the Holy Spirit minister and guide and direct us as we go forward here this morning. If you would, to stand together. And uh, we're going to say this verse together as a church body here at 1 Corinthians 9.23 is where it is found. And Paul reminds us of how we are partners, we are participants together in the gospel. And that that is the good news, the redemptive value of Christ and what he is doing to transform our lives. And so we'll begin with this verse. Together, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. I hope that's our ambition in life. We do all things because of the gospel. May he truly be the sum total of our existence. Let's go to the Lord at this time, dedicating our opportunity here this morning to worship to him. And may he get our attention well throughout the time together. Father, we're grateful for this morning and grateful for the warmth of a building to come into. Grateful for the warmth of the fellowship that we get to share and people that we enjoy doing life together with. And serving together with and just experiencing uh, the challenges as well as the, uh, the great blessings, the rewards of life with. And Lord, this is the body. This is the visible representation of you upon this earth. And Lord, we're grateful for this church, grateful for those who are here 
And Lord, grateful for even those that because of health or other situations are not able to be here. Our hearts still go out to them. We long for their company. And we're just grateful for what you're doing in their lives. And Lord, we just continue to lift up these that we've mentioned this morning and uh, grateful for uh, the strength that you're affording in different ones and giving them recovery of health and uh, thinking of Rick and just glad that he's able to be here today. And I pray that you'll encourage his heart and his life. Lord, I pray for Beth and ask, Lord, that you would just continue to strengthen her and uh, help this tear in her aorta to continue to heal. And I uh, pray that you'll just continue to give doctors and those around her wisdom. We pray for Ashley this morning and the little baby. And, and uh, Lord, just praying as both of them are going through this part, this stage of uh, the, the pregnancy and everything that's there, I just pray that you'll continue to give health and strength and then give doctors, again, wisdom as they work with her. Lord, I pray as well for Judy and uh, ask that you'll continue to help her to recover. And uh, as she continues to gain strength, I pray, Lord, that you'll just, uh, just give her uh, a full uh, sense of health again and get her back on her feet quickly. Lord, just mindful of those who are just not here because of what is going around and, and the, the flu and the, the season that we're in. And I pray that you give them strength as well today, help them to recover quickly. Lord, bless our time. I pray that our hearts will be ready now to lift our voices in praise to you, in adoration, in glory. Lord, that we would be challenged by the words of the songs, that we would really resonate with the truths that are expressed, that we would think and articulate within our hearts, not just knowing words of familiar, familiarity, but Lord, knowing them in our hearts to be true. Lord, let the word of God ring true in our hearts. May you be praised and glorified in everything that we do and say here this morning. And it's in Christ's matchless name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, Technical difficulties here. Sorry about that. Um, It is a great opportunity to be with you and just a privilege to be able to lead you this morning. My name is Fred Holcomb. I'm the worship pastor here and uh, thankful for the team that we have to lead us this morning. I'm thankful that we can sing praises to God for who he is and for what he's doing in our lives and for what he's done. So let's sing to God be the glory, great things he has done. Every blessing, every blessing 
Yeah. 
sent out a, a link to a song uh, yesterday or day before and uh, to a song I want to introduce to you or we want to introduce to you this morning entitled King of Kings and the scripture that pastor read or we read together is I do all things for the sake of the gospel and this is the gospel we're going to sing about here as we have been already but uh, it just kind of tells the story so I hope this is encouragement to you this morning as we sing King of Kings. In the darkness we were waiting without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes, to fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word, from a throne of endless glory, to a cradle in the dirt. the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of Kings, to reveal the kingdom come. The lost to redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, you saw to the other side. Knowing this was our salvation, Jesus for your Savior. Praise for 
praise you this morning. The three in one. God, what we say, what we sing is not sufficient. But thank you for Jesus that intercedes for us, pleads for us. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the resurrection and the hope that we have for eternal life. We love you. Thank you for loving us first, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 9 this morning, please. First Corinthians chapter 9. If you get to the Gospels and keep going to Acts, Romans, you'll come to First Corinthians and let's get into chapter 9 together. In 1 Corinthians 9, I want to go down to verse 19 and read a few verses here, including the verse that we've been looking at even this morning already. He says in verse 19, for though I am free from all men, and I think we've heard even the singing of the song, this freedom that we have in Christ, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews, and to those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker. Have you ever been talking with someone and they're explaining why they made a decision, why they made a choice? And perhaps it was a good one, and they say something made them do it whether it was some moment of courage, a moment of bravery inside of a, a place where bold intervention was necessary. Or maybe you're talking to someone and they say that someone did something to them and that made them lash out or hit back or throw something, break something. And there's a little coined phrase that sometimes we use where it says that the devil made me do it. Well, really what we find here in this passage is Paul is saying something very similar, that the gospel made me do it. And in that sense, what Paul is saying here, especially in verse 23, it's because of the gospel that I do all these things. I am all these things. This is what makes me do what I do. It's because of the gospel. Imagine that as the reason for your actions of life, that you could say through your existence of life, the reason why I make these decisions and why I do what I do is because the gospel made me. We've been in this series and for the last several months we have been talking about the pillars of the assembly. And those four pillars are basically worship, discipleship, fellowship, and evangelism. And we've been calling our attention to the understanding of how we see the value of these in our life, in our ministry, and what we do as a church. And really, we're coming today to the conclusion of this series and thinking about what it is that we see is how worship is on display in our discipleship and how fellowship and evangelism are really the hands and the feet of everything that I know to be true about God, what he is creating me to be, and these are the expressions of Christ wherever I go. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we find that what the book does and what Paul does is throughout this book, he is answering a series of questions. And really chapter 9 is to chapters 8 and 10, what chapter 13, the love chapter, is to really chapters 12 and 14. When you come to chapter 9, you really discover the motivation. It's the motive behind the questions that are asked. What it is then, how I answer you, this is the motivation behind it. And so in this book, there are several questions that are being posed, and we come here to one that is being posed, go back to chapter 8. So do that with me. Take your device or go back in your Bible. Go back to chapter 8 and look at verse 1 with me and what he says here. He says, now concerning things sacrificed to idols. So any of you really struggling with that? You're going down to Publix and you've seen that rack, that section in there where all the meat there is to the idols of our locale here. I mean, any of you struggle with that lately? You know, whether you, I mean, there's some good deals in there, right? I mean, you know, you're, you're having a hard time passing it up, right? I mean, and, it, and it's kind of one of those things where in our culture, we don't necessarily deal with it like they were dealing with it. 
But there was a question. These are people that, and the church of Corinth is a very mixed population, but predominantly a Gentile population. And they are coming out of a culture of very steep pagan worship where there's all kinds of gods, all kinds of gods everywhere you go. Now, this would be more on display if you were to go to countries in, say, like India or Pakistan or go to even other parts of the world where there is the plethora, the multitudes still on display of different gods. This becomes a question mark. And what's interesting is how Paul addresses it as he goes into this. He goes on to say there in this same verse 8, chapter chapter 8, verse 1, we know that we all have knowledge. But notice what he says, knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Does that sound familiar to you? Chapter 13, maybe verse 2, where I could have all this knowledge, but if I have not love... What have I become? I've become noisy gongs. I've become an obnoxious sound. So this is a little bit of a precursor. This is a little bit of a setting himself up to be able to really take on some of the other things that he's going to address. And he's going to do that really in chapter 10, which is interesting because what we know of chapter 11, it has to do with the Lord's table, right? And how they have been abusing it, how they have been abusing one another, how they have been misaligning their heart, misappropriating the sacrifice of Christ. And it's all about the place of their heart, the motivation of their heart and where they stand in relation to the sufficiency of his sacrifice. And so chapter 9 is the explanation of these motives. The key thought is really found there in chapter 9, verse 23, but it's because of the gospel I do all of these things. The gospel made me do it. We see this again in some other places here. Uh, if you'll notice there in chapter uh, uh, eight, or chapter eight, uh, sorry, chapter nine, verse 19, go back to there. And he says this, he says, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. The gospel makes me do that. Kind of then in chapter 8 and verse 13, he he says there right at the end of the chapter, therefore if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Why would I do that? Because the gospel makes me do that. In chapter 10 and verse 14, if you flip over to chapter 10, look what he says in verse 14. He he says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Well, what is the call to then? The gospel is the solution. The gospel is the, the, the satisfaction of everything you are looking for in something empty and futile and parceled. In chapter 10 and verse 23, what what he says there, he, he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Why would I do that? Because the gospel makes me do that. In chapter 10 and verse 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many so that they may be saved. Why would I dedicate my life to such a thing? Because the gospel makes me do it. And notice with me this morning three, what I would describe as some aspects of the gospel that I want to point out. Really, it's going to be from these three chapters, but really heart of it really in chapter 9. And noticing what Paul says about the gospel and how he is leading them to understand a confrontation even of their own motives. What's in your heart? Why do you do what you do? Why do you live the way you live? Is it because of the gospel? Or is it because you're pursuing some other system, moral code, or just an abandonment to your own pleasures? Three aspects. Those would be number one, what I call the gospel's conscience. That the gospel has a conscience. And thinking about this and going back to chapter 8 again, he talks about it in this way in chapter 8. Really, and I'm going to pick it up. We've already read how knowledge is arrogant. Love is what edifies. He says in chapter 8 and verse 2, if anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. And so it's this call to what is your love language? What are you expressing? What is the activity of your actions expressing about what you really love? 
And then also in chapter 8, skip down to verse 9, he says, but take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who, having knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother of who, for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience, when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. See, the gospel gives me an awareness. The gospel gives me a conscience. The gospel then pricks my awareness of the needs of the others that are around me. The gospel, which is the good news of the rescuing and the reclamation work of Christ to transform the dead to life and the dark to light, to the weak to strength, to the hopeless hope. That's the power of the gospel. The gospel is Christ at work within us. The gospel is the beginning and the completion of what we call our salvation. And this is what the Corinthians knew. Well, they knew all that. They knew they were free, and some were using that freedom then to experience and to go into things that were more for their own pursuits than leading people to see Christ. They were not consumed with the others in the equation as much as now what they felt they had the freedom now to do. He says in verse 11 again, your knowledge is what's getting this, this weaker person to a place of ruin you're letting what you know to be true about your faith not open your conscience up to seeing those that are around you and you're leading others to their own ruin. It goes on in verse 12, and by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. And we're always so weary of, well, how far do you take this? I mean, come on. I wish they would just get stronger then. But there again lies the burden on us to be considerate, and that's what the gospel leads us to. Who are you more conscious of? What are you more desirous of? What is the gospel doing to compel your heart and your affections and your desires? You are wounding others. Is that the gospel at work? But I am free. That's their knowledge at work. Why should I care what those weaker, less informed people are thinking? And Paul warns, the gospel makes me care. The gospel has a conscience, and my conscience is about others. The issue in chapter 8 is really less about the weaker brother eating meat that is offered to idols, but that in a weak conscience that he would adopt idols into his worship of Christ and become more polytheistic in his thinking. I like how David Garland put it in this quote when he was writing on this topic. He says, it is not that this person might be persuaded to eat while thinking all the while that it is wrong, but that he or she will eat while thinking that it is acceptable for a Christian to do so. What does the gospel make me do? Well, the gospel gives me a conscience. As he says in chapter 8 and verse 13, I will choose then to never eat meat again if that's going to cause my brother to stumble. Well, are we that conscious of others? Or do we throw our liberty in their face? The challenge of leading them to a place to see the gospel. Are you more enamored with your rights, your freedom, or the desperate state of those around you who are enslaved by the sin? So Paul then goes on to address that very thing in chapter 9, and that's really at the heart of it. And what we find that coming to chapter 9 then, he loses, he, he leaves really that idea hanging there, the idea of the conscience sitting there, and he enters into chapter 9, and he takes on really a thread of the idea, and he starts in chapter 9 and verse 1, am I not free? And that leads us then to the second aspect that he's talking about here, and it's what I call the gospel's compulsion. What is compelling me? And that's the motive. What would make me choose to not put my rights, not to flaunt my freedom, to look with the conscience towards those who are weaker, those who are struggling maybe with a, a, a system of, of expression about a God. And yes, they're struggling in some area of idolatry over here, and that's, that's terrible, but... What motivates me to say, I'm going to do it for the gospel's sake? 
He says in chapter 9, go down to verse 12. He says, if others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you live your life with an understanding that your life could enhance or hinder the deliverance of the gospel to someone's life? In chapter 9 and verse 16, he says, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For I am under compulsion, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. And that, that verse is a challenge to something, and I'll come back then in just a minute. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more. Paul says, this is my compulsion. The gospel compels me. It compels me to live in such a way where I would deny even my rights it was very customary if you were a part of a system of teaching that you were to be the recipient of the pay, the reward for that teaching. And a lot of this would be whether it was like if you were brought in as a tutor, if you were brought in to give instruction, the, the owner of the, the house, the estate, would bring in the teacher and he would hire you to teach the lessons. But in that sense, you were also then obligated to that one. As in verse 17, it is not done as an obligation to any one group or person. It is done from a voluntary sense of obligation to the message of the gospel. And Paul speaks of the right that he has to be provided for in the service of the gospel. And even as an apostle, he speaks of the right to have these things taken care of for him. And he goes into some other illustrations later on where he talks about even how the ox was to be provided for by the law. The one who plows a field or raises a herd of cattle is expecting to be able to take a reward, earn a reward from the harvesting of, of the, the crops or harvesting of even the milk that comes from the cattle. The soldier does his duty. He talks about it here and later on in the section. The soldier does his duty in expectation of being paid for in his service. The motivation behind such reward is due to the labor that is invested. And Paul is saying that what compels him is not anything that man can award him. And just as the law called attention to the motivation behind driving an ox, do not do so out of disdain for the effort of the beast. Judge your hearts. Don't drive the beast into the dirt. Don't withhold from him the grain that you're planting and you're sowing. Give to them. Even supply for the the, the, the witless beast, we're, we're really good to do that. But what about then the provision of those? What is then Paul's compensation, basically? And he says, it's not my obligation to man. It's not my obligation to someone who is paying my bills. My obligation is to the gospel and what Jesus Christ has done for me, how he has transformed my life. My compulsion is what Jesus did to change me. Let me ask you, are you a gospel bringer only to those who are conducive to your strata or status of life? Is it easier to have conversations sometimes with people that maybe are even lesser than you in your estimation? And then Paul plunges into that very thought when he speaks about becoming all things to all men in verses 20 through 22. And this passage is been interpreted by some to say that a pragmatic ends justifies the means nothing is off limits approach to sharing the gospel is allowed. And that's not at all what Paul is talking about here. You know, when he says here in verse 20, to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews. Did you realize that Paul had be been beaten at least five times on record? 39 stripes, save one, per Jewish custom for anyone that was captured or who was accused of something that was against the law. And nowhere in that time do we find that Paul renounced his Judaism because he was a Christian. In fact, holding on to his Judaism brought him into the scourging because he could have then immediately stated, I am a Roman citizen, I am free from this. But because he sought to identify with the Jews, he even allowed them to take their own law and punish him for something that was inside of the law that the gospel was confronting, that the motivation of the gospel was causing there to be a stir in those people's conscience. 
But he never forsook his identity as being a Jew when he was confronting the Jews because he wanted the gospel to always be right in front of them to be shared with them. It reminds me of what we read in Romans chapter 9 and verse 3 where Paul says this. He says, for I could wish that I myself were accursed to be separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And that was the gospel at work in Paul's heart. It so compelled him to share with even his heritage, his own home culture, his Judaism, that he would have wished himself to have been put into the pits of hell if it would lead his people to know Christ. To become one under the law, burden his heart so severely, but he could see their burden. He, he sought to get into their mindset to best help them to see how the gospel answers their sense of judgment and their sense of self-righteousness. And he would present Christ as the alternative. To become like those without law, Paul would see the hopelessness. And, and in each case, as he talks about this, and this would encompass those that are Outside of the Judaistic faith, this would be the Gentiles, the Greeks, the barbarians, as he would refer to them in other places in Scripture. But he put himself into their situation. He sought to become what I would describe as cross-cultural. And I don't mean that in just simply thinking about it as moving into some other part of the world. He literally took the cross into their culture. He brought Christ to bear upon the weight of everything that they knew and their, their paganism and their, their steeped uh, debauchery and their wickedness and their hedonism and everything else. And he brought the cross to bear inside of their culture. He didn't distort the cross by the culture. He introduced the cross into their culture. Go back to chapter 1 for just a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Notice what he talks about here as he introduces this whole appeal to these Corinthian believers. And he says in chapter 1 and verse 18, he says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man and where is the scribe and, and where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews it's a stumbling block and to the Gentiles it's foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so he brings that to bear back here in chapter 9 and he says, I have become all these things. I have become to the Jews like a Jew. I have become like those under the law, under the law, but not bound by the law. I have introduced to those who have no law I have become like them in the sense of understanding their situation. I have become these things so that I might win them. It was not about Paul watering down or compromising the forthright confrontation of the gospel to the Jews or diminishing even the foolishness of the cross to the Gentiles. He was still confronting the idolatry of the Gentiles and he was still confronting the misguided views and the religiosity of the Jews. He just did not let his gospel get lost inside of his own prejudices or his unwillingness to see the man behind the glass and in their situation of life. The gospel compelled him to even become as the weak. This one actually has a lot of the scholars a bit stumped if you look through this, you, you would think that maybe there's like four classifications here. You've got Jews, law, non-law, weak. So is he looking at four distinct groups or are these basically two groups with two descriptions? Jews and law and no law and weak. Or is it three? Because we've already talked about the weak in chapter 8. Are these believers? And yet we get hung up on the word When? He's winning them. Is it winning to salvation or is he winning the weaker one to a, a greater understanding of the gospel and the impact, the influence of the gospel in his life so that he is not so easily stumbling 
in relationship to Christ? Is he growing in his discipleship and his relationship to God? So you're asking me, okay, which one is it? I don't know. In all certainty, I don't know. I think any of those could work. I think the emphasis more on Paul's heart is, is that whatever the person needed in their relationship with Christ, I have presented the gospel. Sometimes it's the actual punctiliar beginning. They need to know Christ. They need to come into faith. They need to know Christ, and that wins them. Or it might be the one that's further along in the journey, and they're a disciple of Christ, but boy, they're really struggling. How do I win them? How do I show them what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Maybe that's some of you this morning. Your faith is always on a hair's breadth of uncertainty. What is the gospel What is it compelling you to believe? I think Paul was really looking at them in every situation of life. Paul argues that he does not become trapped by the legalism of the law, nor does he give up the law of Christ. He does it all because the gospel has made him do it. And thus again in 26 and 27 of chapter 9, therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I have the gospel to compel me. I'm a fellow partaker of the gospel and I want others to share in the gospel message with me. I like how Thistleton put it in his commentary. He says, Paul does all that he does to make transparent by his everyday life in the public domain the character of the gospel, which he proclaims as the proclamation of the cross, which it derives its character, not simply its benefits from Christ himself. Has the cross so altered your character? Has it so changed your life? Are you different because of the cross? You say, well, I was saved at the age of three. I don't remember. Do you do life because of the cross? What compels you? What is the characteristic of your existence? Is it the gospel? Or is it still more of you? Is it Christ? Or still the old nature? And that character is to be on display daily. Let's notice notice now the last characteristic aspect that Paul talks about about the gospel. So we have the concept of really understanding this chapter 8, we have a conscience. Chapter 9, this is what compels me. But chapter 10 is what I call the gospel's coronation. This is the crowning effect. This is the glory of the gospel. And we know what that is as you look to chapter 10 and verse 31, where writing says, whether then you eat or you drink, struggling with this idle meat, you're struggling with these things, you walk into that situation, you walk into that situation, every time you walk into the situation, why are you doing it? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Okay, does that give any room for anything to be excluded? Whatever you're doing in this life, do it all to the glory of God. Oh, by the way, that's worship. That's your view of God. If you've got a really shallow view of God, you're going to always then have a very shallow view of your circumstances. You're going to struggle with how to bring the gospel to bear because God isn't really that rich to you. God isn't really that significant to you. So why would he be significant from the person sitting across from you in whatever situation of life? In your marriage, raising your children, in the party scene, in the work scene, in your neighborhood, when you're alone in the car, when you're alone in the house, in everything, are we models? Are we truly coronated do we allow the crowning glory of our life be the glory of God? He says in verse 32, give no offense. I should not be offering a confrontation of offense because of who I am, but if my message offends, that's, 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 that's on them because they're dealing with the conscience of the gospel. Verse 33, and as I please all men in all things, 
not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many so that they may be saved. Is that the glory of your life? That others are seeing Christ and less of me. So through him and to him we exist. And we now have this hope and we have this wonderful peace that passes all understanding that the love of God has shed abroad in our hearts. And we now know true love and this truth makes us free. I'm free. But what am I free to do? We're not free to selfishness or to simply live to our own gain. We live because now we can think of others. We have others in mind. We live with the lost in mind. And we do so because there is a glory that is not in ourselves. We do it all for the glory of God. We live for the overwhelming love of God. We live and do all things so that God is not belittled and that God is not devalued and that God is not esteemed as discretionary. Oh, you can add Jesus to your list of other gods. See, that's what I do on a regular basis. The gospel points out our goal is God's glory. And so we give up our rights. We give up our rewards that are found here to bring reward to the ones who do not know Christ. So what is the gospel to you? What is the gospel to those who have never heard it? Would they ever see it or hear it from you? And this brings us back to the greatest command that God gave to us in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, go and make disciples. It is the John 15 relationship on display. Abide in Christ and his word abiding in us. The staying close in our relationship that we share with him. And from that comes then a love for the others in our life. Those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. The law of Christ is what bound Paul. He lived his faith. He loved his savior. He shared his message by life and by lip. And he became what the needy needed. He put himself into their shoes. He was not bound by any sense of obligation to a system or to some moral code. He was bound to a mission to let Christ be so seen in his life that the message lived in him as much as it was told from him. And for this, he was beaten, and yet he still identified with Jews. For this, he was mocked and even imprisoned, and yet he retained his Roman citizenship to get near to Roman soldiers and even to emperor himself. And Paul reminds these Corinthians that the message of the gospel brings a conscience to how we conduct our life. The gospel is the compulsion for how we treat the lost and live out Christ in front of them. The gospel is the coronation of my existence. It is the glory of God on display. And it can be done through me. And it can be done through you. And this is the prize that the world is looking for. So guard your heart. Guard your motives for living this life that God has given you. Keep yourselves from the idols and do not simply add Christ to the possible fixes of life. Live the gospel. Let the gospel live in you. Let it be your lifelong expression of worship. Let it be said that the gospel made me do it. This is what I live for. And let it be a challenge to your ongoing growth as a disciple, as a Christ-following believer And let others see the gospel so that they too can come to know the life that lives inside of you. That affects our fellowship as much as our evangelism. Let the gospel make you. I don't know how many times, I gotta quit here. I don't know how many times I've heard so many programs on evangelism. Way of the master, fishers of men. I mean, I, I got oodles of pamphlets and seminars and conferences about how we can evangelize the lost. I think Paul just lived it. And can you imagine if the 200 plus people that are sitting in this room, if we would just live the gospel, if we would just live it, how much more effective that would be than for you to walk up with some planned series of questions, some anecdotal little pithy story Maybe it's your story that God's needing to work through to reach that person. But do you have a conscience? Are you compelled by the gospel? And is the gospel the glory that you want to obtain and have over your life? Why don't we just be the Christian that God wants us to be?
and let him do the work of reaching the hearts of people around us. Let's do it because the gospel made us do it. Stand together with me as we close here this morning. Father, I pray that we would be, live, breathe, be that our voices would sing and we would express that we would live, we would share be that our hearts beat to the rhythm of the gospel. And it's your expression, it's your story that's on display in our lives, how your spirit is moving in us and transforming us day by day to be more and more created into the image of Jesus Christ. So Lord, let us be the byproduct, the fruit, the evidence of what the gospel can do. And whether we were saved in a Christian home and whether we've never really struggled with heinous sin, we still struggle with our flesh and we still struggle with the reality of your presence in our lives day by day. And Lord, for that one who has been saved out of a life where it was difficult, you have saved them from a testimony of really of destruction, gloom, desperation, hopelessness. Lord, no matter what our story is, it's about your gospel. And so, Lord, may we go pronounce you well to the world, not for our glory and not what you have done to necessarily give us freedom, but now in that freedom, we are compelled to share with others. And so we become everything we need to be in the culture, in the setting, in the place that you have planted us. Lord, may we truly be cross-cultural in our thinking. And may, Lord, you be the sum total of our existence. Lord, there may be a heart here this morning that doesn't know you as his or her savior. And Lord, the concept of the gospel in this message that we're talking about is maybe foreign to them. Lord, I pray that before they leave, they'd have the opportunity to talk with one of us and to get clarification. What does it mean when you talk about this story about Jesus Christ and sin and forgiveness and a relationship with God? Lord, for that weaker brother, the one that's struggling with their faith, struggling with choices, struggling with how they're watching certain people do certain things, but struggling not because they see it as wrong, but because they have no inhibition to see it as different. How is Christ different in my circumstance? Lord, I pray they would gain some strength today. Lord, the rest of us, that maybe we've let knowledge become our arrogance. Lord, I pray that we would allow love to then edify our hearts and show us where we have been stodgy and stingy with the gospel. Lord, let us live you well. And Lord, so we ask now that you will fill us, prepare us, and dwell our hearts. And may we be compelled for the gospel's sake. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
gospel this week. Uh, we'll meeting in the fellowship hall. If you're visiting with us, we'd love to, to uh, greet you back there and uh, just talk with you for a few minutes, but you're invited to the fellowship hall straight out these doors and into the fellowship hall. Lord bless you.